Live from the basement of Voodoo Sound, it's time to get your mojo working. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have you in the house, nice to have you on board the bus, the big red bus we call the Mojo Radio Show. What do we do here? Robbo and I, just a couple of boys having a crack. We just find people that we think are interesting, have their mojo working, and they're doing something, something that's just improving themselves and others in or out of work. We have a chat to them, we drink coffee, we talk, and we extract <laughs> their ideas, their opinions, their tips, their tools to help us get our mojo working. And when I say us, I mean me and this guy here, Robbo. Welcome, mate. How you going, mate? Going good. I mean, i got to say... I don't think I've ever been more excited about a month of the Mojo Radio Show than Rocktober. You've put an enormous amount of work into it. The yeah. interviews are cracking. The production's brilliant. Yeah. It's going to be a biggie. It's going to be huge. It's going to be absolutely huge. I am pumped and ready for it, mate. We, um, we've got so many surprises up our sleeve. Our listeners won't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> so that's no different to normal. Yeah, hang on. Have I, this sounds a little bit professional. Have I picked up yeah. the wrong show? <laughs> it's only, uh, only a week away, folks. That's right. Coming soon to the Mojo Radio Show. Now, speaking about excited about things, you've got a little bit of a project in the works. I have. There's a little bit of a backstory. I have been wanting to do a book for some time. I've done a number of books that I've written, but I I really, to be honest with you, I struggled Mm. to think of what I would do that would be in keeping with our our whole vibe of our show, which Mm. is looking at things differently, providing value, and extracting great ideas. So what I've done is I'm going to do a campaign on Kickstarter for a brand new book. Well, it's not actually a book. It's more of a journal, but it's a thought-provoking journal. Mm. So the idea of it is it's a journal with stories sprinkled randomly through it, some really uh, interesting, edgy artwork throughout the journal. And the idea of it is that people can keep their journal. We know that You'd have to say, mate, probably 99% of guests on our show journal. There's not many that don't, no. And so rather than just stare at a blank page, the idea of this is there are stories through to provoke people's thinking, to give them a little foot up or just get them something to ponder Mm. that they may choose to write about or Mm. just a random bit that they may go, well, that doesn't relate, but it makes me think of. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've been doing that. And I, th- I thought rather than go through a publisher, the publishers didn't actually get their head around it. Mm. Uh, and we've been talking about crowdfunding mm. and I always want to try Kickstarter. So it goes out uh, the first week of Rocktober. So I reckon this will be really interesting to follow. If we follow this from beginning to end, that's what you're suggesting, isn't it? That we follow this journey on the show and um, see what lessons we can learn from it, right? Well, yeah, I guess, I mean, Crowdfunding is going to be a bigger and bigger trend, whether it be in creating joint venture partnerships for businesses, whether it be raising money for charities or getting a business or a product 
off the ground, particularly when other people don't understand it. You know, the, mm. the banks, for example, with peer-to-peer lending or people who've got a business idea who live remotely. Um, and you can talk to the whole world on these platforms. So that's essentially why I decided to do it as an experiment to see, well, what's it really like and can I make a go of it? Uh, and number two is I believe this idea is sufficiently different to anything else anywhere in the market, anywhere in the world. I've never, ever seen a thought-provoking journal done this way. The artwork is just absolutely beautiful. Mm. A lady called SJ from PodCreate did the artwork for me, and it just looks good. It feels good. So mm. that was the that was the whole plan. I mean, I'm a bit of a virgin to it all, so I've never done it before, so it could go it could go ass up, but, you know, have a crack. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure it won't go ass up, but you never know your luck, do you, in the big city? What if it goes the other way? What if it sells a million? Is that the end of the Mojo show? Is Gary off on his brand new yacht and see you later, Robbo? I'll call you no, when no. I'm next, next time I hit land. <laughs> nice problem to have, but uh, let's, cross, let's cross that boat when we get to it. Yeah, just don't forget your mates, okay? <laughs> yeah, mate, no, I'll put one in the mail for you, mate, with your caveman coffee. Yeah, that's right. Here's a few bones for your bone broth next time too, and I'll catch you soon. <laughs> throw me, come on, man, throw me a bone. Throw me a bone, literally. <laughs> so anyway, folks, we'll, uh, we're going to follow this uh, journey over the next couple of weeks yeah. uh, to see whether we can make it work or not. It's called the Mojo Thought Provoking Journal. Stand by. We'll give you more details as we come out. Yeah. And I tell you what, anybody who's listening who's got a friend or somebody to want to buy a Christmas present for, I reckon this is an absolute cracking present for the person who's got everything. And if you want to help, we'd, uh, we'd sure, sure use, some, uh, use some assistance. Getting your mojo working. This is the Mojo Radio Show. Now, speaking of projects and friends, we've got a friend of the show who's got a new project, right? Yeah, it's really good too. Yeah, Ella James, who back in episode 22, which is, wow, reaching back a long way now, mm. a friend of mine who moved to LA to pursue a career in acting and comedy, um, she started up her own podcast as well now and she's cranking them out. She is cranking them out. It's a, it's a really interesting show. What I like about it, it's sort of set in Hollywood mm. and it's about passionate people who are pursuing their dreams. And the episode I heard, which I really liked, and I reckon a lot of the material fits in pretty well with the Mojo Radio Show with looking to unlock your mojo. And one episode I liked was episode seven yes. uh, of Take Fountain with Ella James. And she interviewed famous director. Do you remember a guy called Michael Apted? I do indeed. Well, he has done movies like The Coal Miner's Daughter and Gorillas in the Mist. And he's yeah. probably also really well known for a, a very worldwide, a, a very popular worldwide series called Seven Up where they followed the life of some kids as they grew up into adulthood. And it's a really nice show. You know what Ella's like. She's a fabulous Mm. interviewer. Just have a little, here's a little taste of what Ella is doing over there. This is Ella James on the Take Fountain podcast, talking with Michael Apted. We define ourselves by our work, or uh, many of us do. I know I do. And I had this conversation with somebody on the weekend who's been unwell, and she said since her illness, her life has got quantifiably smaller. Less people are interested in uh, speaking to her. The opportunities aren't as great. So when we've defined ourselves by our work for such a long time, do you ask yourself, who am I outside of that? Yeah, yeah. I think you have to be self-analytical because, I mean, there will be a time, you know, when I should stop working. I don't feel it yet. So I think you've got to have all your marbles 
in play, if I'm not mixing metaphors here. Well, um, you still have all your marbles. That's still a, all my marbles. I like that. You know, and you, you, as you get older, you get, you know, I think, more aware of your limitations in a sense. When you're younger, you're much more brash and bold and all that, which is great, but it's hard to keep that brashness and sort of sink that into your experience and wisdom, you know, the wisdom and experience you've acquired over these decades. You know, you know, when you're younger, you can just rush into things and do things and take a chance. Um, now you're, you have too much wisdom in the fact. And so sometimes, you know, maybe I narrow myself down. Puts us to shame a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, at least we can say we're mates. Well, and, yeah, and at least she's a journo too. So at least we've got some comeback. You have had a bit of experience in interviewing people, Ella, let's be honest. Yeah, it's a good value show, folks. Mm. And many of us, moi included, which is the French for me, uh, we all have a selection, which is the French for selection, of podcasts on our iPhones or our iPads mm. and you flick through these different shows as you go and that's it's really worthwhile to listen it's set in Hollywood Ella's wonderful she really has a journo's approach to interviewing people mm. uh, unlike our show and uh, anyway have a, have a look at it Take Fountain on iTunes yep go for it folks go and download it help us get the Mojo Radio Show on the iTunes What's Hot list hit up the Mojo Radio Show on iTunes and leave a comment now. Oh, and please... You are such a disappointing pair. Be gentle with us. Now, guest this week, one of my favourite all-time interviews on this show and one of our shows that I reach back to regularly. We first spoke to Carolyn Adams-Miller back in episode 14, which was mm. January of last year. Mm. And what was so profound, I think, about Carolyn being on the Mojo Radio Show back in our early days was that the... Carolyn really set a tone for our show, and I think it's fair to say, mate, that resilience and more so grit has become an undercurrent, like it's been a tone that we have used in pretty much every show in some way is resilience and grit for us, but also in particular resilience and grit for children, uh, business, sport, culture, show business, whatever it may be. So I think it, it was a profound show for us, wasn't it? It was very much so. And I'm looking forward to telling her that there are 20 kids who run around the paddock on a weekend in winter when I'm coaching rugby who have learnt mass amounts from that interview as well because I've certainly passed on many of the messages that I took from her to them as well. So, and, they, and they're starting to repeat those messages themselves. Well, you could probably tell her right now, mate, because she's on the line. So Carolyn Adams-Miller, welcome back to the Mojo Radio Show. Oh. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. It's great to have you back. And before we get going, I have to—I actually have to say a quick thank you to you because um, I, I look after 20-odd uh, kids during winter um, as their coach for a rugby union football team here in Sydney. And after mm -hmm. we last spoke for the last couple of years, I've been using some of the messages that I learned from you with them. And I have watched mm -hmm. them watched their resilience on the football field grow from next to nothing to a situation where we had uh, in a final a couple of weeks ago where the kids were, were down by two tries and underneath the post. And the first thing I heard the captain say was, come on, guys, we've got to dig deep. Let's get going. Wow. So I, a big personal thank you for me. Well, that's very kind of you to say. I, I am curious, and probably your listeners are too, like one or two things that you actually extracted from our interview that you found 
could be applied with great success. They listened and they did something differently. What, what would you say those one or two things would be? It's just the attitude. The attitude was always that the mm. heads would go down and they would sort of almost give up once a try was put on them. And just from talking about what it means to, to use that feeling of feeling lost as a spur to actually want to go back and go harder yep, yep. is mainly the one that I've used. And when I've spoken to them behind the posts after they've had a, a try scored against them, I've reinforced that message. Mm-hmm. And now, after two years, I don't really have to reinforce it anymore. As we showed a couple of weeks ago, they're actually the message they're, they're using it themselves. That's great. It's, it's, it becomes the DNA, and, I, and I, I, I stand by the thing I've, I've been saying for a few years, and that is, you know, culture, parents, schools, we've removed the standards of hard from a lot of, you know, kids' lives because mm. we think they can't handle whatever it is, the stress, mm. the homework, you know, whatever. Um, in, this, in this country, we've even gotten rid of um, parallel parking and the driving test because it's, quote-unquote, too hard. Um, but my experience has been that kids want to be elite. They want to know what is it that what does it take for us to really stand out and be really good at something, not just good enough. Um, and when we remove the the handholds for what does it take to be awesome, I mean really awesome, inspirational, awesome, they long to measure up. And so I think that introducing it and inculcating it and making it part of the DNA of a culture ends up being something that they want. And mm. parents act surprised, like, oh, my God, we don't have to dumb down anymore. Mm. But it, it starts, you know, you have to start with yourself, your family, your community, your sports teams, and then your schools, and then, your, and then you know, businesses. But everybody has to start playing a role in bringing good enough um, and changing it into inspirational slash awesome. That's right. If you want it, you've got to work for it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just go back to the start, Caroline. We had you on the show in episode 14, which was a couple of years ago now, and we we spoke on the topic of grit and resilience, and we spoke about us and our kids. Let's just backtrack those listeners who may not have been through our back catalogue uh, let's take it back. Just give us your, your quick interpretations of this word grit. We're hearing it a bit. We're seeing it a bit. How do, how do you personally define it? Okay, so very good question. So I'm going to answer it in, in two parts. So when we talked about grit, we were talking about something that Angela Duckworth, a researcher at the University of Pennsylvania, has studied and, and really researched and come up with her definition, which is passion and perseverance in pursuit of long-term goals. And really what it gets at, at the heart of it, is it's beyond just being resilient. Um, it's beyond being, you know, having heart or being tough. It's that times a hundred. It's the ability to get up over and over and over again because you have a north star. You have something inside of you that's burning, that's important to you. That, and that's where the word passion comes in that you want to accomplish because it's important to you, not to someone else, not because someone told you to do it. And so it's this very emotional connection to a goal that will take you a long time and it's going to require you know, hard work, you're going to have failure, you're going to have to have a team around you to, you know, soft places to fall. Um, and and it, it speaks to the fact that these these goals are not the easy or mediocre goals. They're the big ones. They're the ones outside of our grasp. So what we were talking about is the fact that we've really seen that this ability to hang in there and be resilient has gone missing. 
certainly in my country, but what I'm, I'm hearing and have looked at for the last couple of years, because my book, I'm just finishing the editing and it's out next June, it's called Getting Grit. It, it's in a lot of countries. And so I, what I've coined is a slightly different definition because there's some very common questions that Angela gets about her definition. So um, what, what I've come up with is a definition I call for authentic grit. So it's grit for all the right reasons in all the right contexts. So this is how I define it. It's the passionate pursuit of hard goals that awes and inspires others to become better people, flourish emotionally, take positive risks, and live their best lives. And so what I'm trying to cover there are all the bases, which is it's not enough to just be someone who doesn't quit um, because sometimes, you know, the time has passed. The goal is no longer, you know, relevant to your life or, you know, situation has changed. So you don't want to have what I call stupid grit. Um, you want to have this authentic grit, and it's very important that it not diminish anybody else that your pursuit of, of a very hard goal has to inspire and awe other people and inspire them to take positive risks and to live their best lives. So when you're in the presence of this quality I call authentic grit, you are actually elevated as a human being. It makes you want to be a better person. And so that's the right grit in the right context. It's not stupid grit where you don't know how to quit and um, you won't listen to other people and you're stubborn. It's not selfie grit where it's just all about me, you know. It's just me getting famous or doing something hard and telling everybody all about it all the time. Um, and then there's faux grit, which is fake grit, people who want you to think they did something hard, but they didn't do it. They took shortcuts. So that's how I approach authentic grit, and I can give you a lot of different contexts where I think it really matters. In the last year to 18 months, I've become very interested in the Navy SEALs, and it came about through listening to a guy called Jocko Willinks, who does his own podcast, which I love, and he wrote a book called Extreme Ownership with his partner, Leif Babbitt, that he served with in the Navy SEALs. Mark Devine has become very popular with his podcast and his books and his Kokoro camps. Jody Minnick, a Canadian sniper from the range, has become very popular with podcasts and books. And underlying all these things is that I, I think that what people are looking for is the inspiration or aspiration from the Navy SEALs who talk about yep. getting after it and getting it done. And that's a trend I'm seeing now. Uh, Caroline, is this whole looking to these guys to to get the little something-something these guys have got that makes them go out there and face death and get it done. What trends are you seeing around the place, you know, in America, your homeland, or around the world? What are the latest trends since we spoke to you last that you're seeing where this grit is showing itself? Interesting question and great observation. Um, I, I talk a lot about special forces, too, um, partly because there's been an uptick in Hollywood movies that really feature that kind of daring-do special yeah. forces attitude. Um, and, and this goes to my theory that as it's gone missing in, in our culture, we've been holding it up as an example of things that people aspire to. So people long to to um, compare in and to be Navy SEAL-like, Green Beret-like, Ranger-like. Um, it's just when we remove all those opportunities to, to actually, you know, measure up and do hard things, you end up finding things like that. So there's this um, very difficult um, 
exercise class. It's a chain in the United States. Maybe it's in your country. I don't know, called CrossFit. And it's just like a box. It's like a concrete box, and it's a very tough workout, and it's the same workout, very plain, all over the country, every day. Everyone does the same workout. So there's been a flocking to that, which I find really very interesting. And so um, there haven't been enough changes, but I'll tell you one place where we also see pushback in this country is this whole idea of microaggression and safe spaces on college campuses. So it's, it's become almost surreal and ridiculous where kids are arriving, I call them kids, but they're really young adults, but they're so bubble-wrapped and fragile by the time they get to the university setting that there's this epidemic of kids bringing comfort animals. They're bringing pigs, they're bringing turkeys, they're bringing the family dog, and they're saying they can't survive. I mean, I've got these stories in my book of, you know, kids bringing these pigs, and the pigs, you know, get big, and they smell, and they eat the furniture, and, and then, you know, the university says, you got to move the pig out, he's defecating everywhere, and, oh, no, 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 I can't survive without my pig, and so then it becomes a lawsuit, and the schools are, are settling lawsuits, so there's been this real explosion of fragility and anxiety and depression among these young adults because they've been bubble-wrapped, because they've been, you know, tro- over-trophied. Um, now, schools are starting to push back. Just a couple weeks ago, the University of Chicago, one of the top universities in our country, issued a letter to freshman students saying, hey, guys, you know, if you're coming here, I want to tell you something. We're not all about just safe spaces and disinviting commencement speakers because you don't want to hear what they have to say or you're going to feel unsafe. So there's a pushing back that's beginning to occur just because it got so absurd. But there's so much more that we need to do. That's just the beginning. I reckon, Robbo, we're going to do a, uh, a Mojo Radio Show grit T-shirt. Yeah. And it's just going to have a big grit. <laughs> You've got to move the pig. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> You've got to move the pig. Free-range pig, of course. <laughs> oh, yeah, grass-fed. Oh, it's, it's, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it sounds absurd, but I felt it important to document so many of these ridiculous trends that we are seeing. Now, it's a good idea that's been taken too far. The same thing with safe spaces and people who get triggered and trigger warnings. But the problem is, is it's created a cult of victimhood. And when these young adults get into the workplace, you know, you can't give them performance reviews because they cry if you tell them that they met expectations. And so the workplace has now become like the parents. And so it's this very big, you know, challenge going on in a lot of the workplaces, which is how do you give them feedback that they can actually listen to and, and, you know, maybe not even quit over being told that they need to buckle down and work a little bit harder. Um, and so I've been talking to a lot of, you know, companies about how do you actually figure out who to hire, Monster, which is this big um, online kind of job search company in this country. They have radio ads now saying, we'll find you gritty people because it's that big a problem, you know, because GPAs are meaningless because everyone has an A. It's the ordinary A is what it's called here. So GPAs are meaningless. Your internships are meaningless for the most part because anybody can buy, you know, a coffee, bean, picking, you know, trip to Costa Rica. So what they're looking for is character, Looking for character and figuring out how to cultivate that kind of character is the biggest discussion that I have found in the workplace now. And it's fascinating how different companies are teasing it out and finding ways to do clever interviews. 
um, and ask certain questions to figure out, is this person going to quit on me, um, you know, or not stay late? Or is this somebody who can actually be on a team and pull their, lo- pull their uh, load? So, you know, you got to find out. So what, what part do emotions play in grit? I mean, it's a really interesting point building on that. Where do they fit into it? What are we looking for emotionally with people who demonstrate grit? Okay, great question. So what I've done in my book, Getting Grit, um, is I've really teased out what are the character strengths that are most commonly seen um, in people who have what I call this authentic grit. And so the, the few that I've highlighted are, are, some are obvious and some are not quite as intuitive. So, you know, one of the obvious ones is just the ability to persist and persevere, to not quit when things get hard. So you're looking for people who have the ability to buckle down um, and get the job done. And usually these are people who've come from um, almost blue-collar work ethic, you know, whether it's a sport that taught you that or a family that taught you that. But you're looking for persistence and perseverance. You're looking for someone who has the ability um, to change the channel in their heads and actually have some kind of mental self-talk that will allow them to um, kind of convince themselves that they have what it takes to get that second wind. You're also looking for people who have the ability to be patient. Now, in this technologically driven society with smartphones and pinging, you know, we have all of this anxiety and procrastination because people are being interrupted all the time. And what that's led to is a lot of kids being unable to study. So they think they're working very, very hard, but the research shows they're actually studying less than previous generations in terms of time, and they have a smaller fund of knowledge. But they're getting interrupted all the time, so they're very stressed. Um, and so you have to develop this quality of patience. Um, the ability to focus is being called the new IQ. The 21st century version of IQ is the ability to focus. So patience, the ability to just kind of sit with something, not have to react immediately. Um, my, my 21-year-old son turned his smartphone into Verizon, our cell phone provider here, and he said, give me a flip phone, because two years ago, he could see that his phone was kind of running his emotions, um, and they, they said, this is the first time a kid's ever come in here, so you're looking for patience. Another interesting one that I, I've really found the research to be fascinating is humility. So the reason humility matters so much is people with authentic grit are not afraid to get hard feedback. They seek it. And so they go up against the best. And they don't mind failing because it's feedback for them. And it gives them a certain amount of humility. Um, and so they know what they're made of. And this is also true when you look at the business world. The best leaders are the ones with humility. And they're the ones who have the ability to lead the troops. They seek out constructive feedback and they act on it. So those are just a few. I mean, there are others. I could keep going on and on, but let me just pause and kind of see if you have any thoughts or questions there. I reckon that's gold. I love that. I I do. I love that. They want to challenge themselves. They seek it out. I mean, that's just, there's gold in them, their gritty hills. I have got one for you, uh, Caroline. Angela Duckworth, who you spoke about at the head of the show, said that Mm -hmm. of all the personality traits that one could have for grittiness, she picked Mm -hmm. out conscientiousness and she thought that was one of the most important traits. Can you just elaborate on that for me? 
Well, that's an interesting debate that's occurring right now. So the biggest criticism of the construct of grit has been from um, a professor, I think, at the University of Iowa here in the U.S., who's actually said that grit isn't all that new. It's just kind of a new name for conscientiousness. And I disagree, because I don't think conscientiousness includes passion. I think conscientiousness is just getting the job done. So there's no question that conscientiousness, the ability to stay on task, to do a good job, to get things done, I think we can all think of, if you think of conscientious, we can all think of just, you know, somebody who's just a good egg, and they finish things, and you can count on them. But that's not grit. That's just a piece of what it takes to be gritty. So that's that's my take on that particular um, character trait, and it and it is important. But so are some other um, traits, and I've heard Angela talk about this too. And Angela is a a friend of mine and and kind of a mentor. She's very supportive of my work and my book and the rest of it. Um, because there are other things that matter, and she talks about hope. I talk about hope, too. And the reason why hope matters so, so, so much is when you have hope, you have the keys to the kingdom. Being hopeful means that your brain operates in a certain way, and it's called pathways thinking. And what happens is that as you encounter obstacles, when you're hopeful, two important things happen. The first is that you begin to generate more solutions to accomplish your goals. The second is you begin to believe that you have what it takes to accomplish those goals. So hope is incredibly important, and and I I can't let this pass without also saying willpower, self-regulation, the ability to, to delay gratification, because if you can't do that, you can't have grit because you have no ability to say no to yourself. And that's another problem we've seen in this society of instant gratification is people don't wait. The average, you know, human ability to to focus is less than a goldfish now. It's seven seconds, and a goldfish has eight seconds. So we have to learn self-regulation and patience and humility and focus and hope. And so it's a, it's a confluence of these, these traits that you can work on, and it's like baking a cake. I, I think it's like baking a cake because you have to learn to swirl them together in the right context for the right reasons and the right goals. And that quality, when you look at all the turning points in history, that, that quality of authentic grit, and I call it Mount Rushmore grit for when it's just these big turning points in history, the Abraham Lincolns, the Harriet Tubmans, the Malala you know, what you find is that these people had a passion and they had so many setbacks, but how they overcame those setbacks was with dignity and self-regulation, and that's how they got followers. And when you look at every turning point in history, you find figures who have authentic grit. Mm. So a lot of different ways you bring it together. Now, Mm -hmm. I've got a question on that. Echo Charles is the guy who basically produces and, in a way, co-hosts the Jocko Willinks podcast on iTunes. Now, they talked about resilience and getting after it. And one thing Echo talked about, which I kind of liked, he said, when I'm standing at the checkout counter and there's a couple of people in front of me and I've got my heavy bags of groceries in my hand, he said, I just stand there and I put myself through it. And I know I can put them down but I make myself go through it because I, I believe it's making me stronger, like it's building that resilience. Mm-hmm. And then you talked about delayed gratification and how that is a, mm-hmm. an attribute or a trait that goes with grit. What I'm after is some 
real life examples you've seen in the home or in the workplace where people could do exercises themselves, just whether that works or not, I don't know, but I'd be interested in your opinion on it. But things like Mm -hmm. that where we can do things at home or at work that we know are stepping stones to building grit to a point where maybe one day we actually really need to dig in and there's something serious on the line. Are there examples you've got of that sort of stuff, Caroline? Oh, yeah, Um, I really do. Um, Let's see, where do I start? So, as I said, it's a a number of traits. So the ability to stand there with heavy grocery bags, that that builds up your emotional muscle of not being Mm. a quitter, not just saying it's getting heavy, I need to put it down. Because if you're going to have grit, there's going to be many instances of emotional and physical fatigue in all likelihood. Um, And so you have to develop the self-talk and the self-efficacy, the belief that you can do these things. And that's very relevant in the workplace because... You know, the ability to focus, to not actually distract yourself, um, you know, by looking at your phone or looking at your computer or surfing the web or whatever. I mean, it starts with the ability to actually turn off distractions and focus. That's a part of grit. Teamwork is a really important part of grit because when you look at the definition, Angela's definition, passion and perseverance in pursuit of long-term goals, it presupposes that these goals are going to take a long time, and nobody accomplishes gritty goals in a silo. They just don't. So all of the examples of authentic grit are people who know how to get along with other people. They build a team. They get feedback from people who matter to them. And so um, one of the things that we've seen among the millennials is that they're very self-absorbed and self-focused, and they don't know how to build and sustain relationships where you meet someone's eyes and you actually do something for them, too. And so in the workplace, you have to be able to get along with people and work in teams. You also have to be able to take feedback. You can't get closer to either a short-term goal or a long-term goal without seeking out constructive feedback. So Harvard Business Review just today released research showing that too many people cut people out of their lives in the workplace if that person gives them constructive feedback that they don't like, that doesn't fit Mm. their self-concept. And so the reason why this is a huge problem is that we have a lot of narcissism going on where it's I, me, my, and they don't have a self-concept that's actually accurate. And so you do need to man up essentially and, and, and be able to seek constructive feedback and then act on it. That's really important. And then another thing, I'll just mention one more, is knowing your top strengths and using them constructively every day to accomplish your goals, whether it's in the workplace or at home, your personal life, because if you know who you are when you're at your best, and I like to use the VIA Character Strength Survey, and just because it's so easy to work with and the language is so appealing and easy to understand, very relatable. When you know those top five strengths and you use them throughout the day, you're not just happier, you're more successful. So everyone needs to have a sense of who they are at their best and who makes them a better person. That's very critical. Yeah. I'd like to take Gary's question one step further, just quickly, if you don't mind. Um, Mm -hmm. People who work out regularly, whether it be by themselves or in a sports team or whatever, you naturally acquire some type of grit in terms of pushing yourself to be better, to go faster, to jump higher, to lift more, whatever that is. Is there a correlation between physical fitness or people who work out in general? Do they have more grit 
or do they have these these other types of grit that we're talking about more so than people who don't work out? You know, that's an interesting question. I, I don't know if anyone's done causal research on that, but I can tell you anecdotally that's certainly the case. And there have been a lot of articles written in, you know, Inc. Magazine and Fast Company and all kinds of places surveying CEOs and finding that a huge proportion of them get up early and do something hard. Um, physically. Mm. And that's been my experience because I coach a lot of high potentials and leaders and the rest of it. And I would say almost to a person, they do physically difficult things out of their comfort zone every day, usually first thing in the morning. The reason why they do that is because it starts the day on... um, on not just a positive note, because it's a win, but it creates a domino effect of having gone outside of your comfort zone and being proud of something you did. And it's a muscle that you build. So the self-regulation research does show that if you do something physically difficult for six to eight weeks, and this is actually research out of Australia, um, it transfers, the ability to self-regulate transfers into other parts of your life. So I think it's absolutely true that the people who can withstand physical challenges, hardship, um, and still keep going, it also transfers into the ability to be cognitively flexible Mm. and creative. And and it's been shown to actually transfer into the boardroom. And I wrote about that in my book, Creating Your Best Life. So yes, there's a clear connection. um, And I see it every single day. It's halftime on the Mojo Show. And time to pause for a cause. Hi, I'm Anna Devena, and I've created a sleep kit for children that helps them fall asleep easily and sleep deeply. And every time you buy one of these books, I donate one to a charity that takes care of abused or traumatised children so that the children can have that comfort as well. And you can find this on my website, sleepanddream.com. The Mojo Radio Show. I relate back to your comment about goals. You said recently that companies and consultants talk about smart goals. And in the article mm-hmm. I read, you said you took issue with this, with the whole idea of goals having to be realistic. Your comment, which yep. I love, you said, we just saw the Rio Olympics. How many of those people had realistic goals? Zero, none. <laughs> That's how they got to the Olympics. Can you elaborate yeah. on that for us? In terms yeah, okay. So one of the things I took issue with in, in my book, Creating Your Best Life, was that the minute I learned about goal-setting theory, which is an academic, it's an open theory by Locke and Latham, so it's, it's a growing, vibrant theory, well-tested, lots of results, um, is that the highest and best performance with all goals, and that means learning goals and performance goals, is when they're challenging and specific. And so that means it's outside of your comfort zone. It's outside your fingertips. Um, and so when I looked at this definition for SMART goals, which was, you know, everybody's kind of immediate, you know, knee-jerk response to how do you set goals, I was like, realistic? That is the last thing that high achievers set. They don't set realistic goals. So I started debunking that whole thing because... You know, as you said, when you look at the Olympics, which every four years, it's this fantastic kind of set of, you know, high-definition examples on our televisions of people who've done really hard things for a long time, physical hardship, financial hardship, emotional hardship. They've crawled on glass 
you know, to get to a training center. The refugee Olympic team in this particular Rio Olympics. What an example of grit those, those, those men and women, what they endured to just keep training in Syria and, and Aleppo. And I mean, my God, it's just unbelievable to me. And so, um, the highest achievers are not setting realistic goals. In goal-setting theory, those are the mediocre goals. Those are the goals you know you can achieve. And there are not a lot of times in life that call for setting realistic goals. The one time I can think of that the research supports is when you've had a setback and you need to get back on the horse that threw you. So, you, you know, you had a big failure and you just want to get a win again. You want to start to feel masterful again. Do something that you know will prime the pump. And that's the one time I can honestly say start with a realistic goal. Otherwise, you know, how, how do you know how far you can go if you aren't reaching for the stars? You don't. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a pretty successful book in 07 called Outliers, and that's where he started this whole principle of 10,000 hours. I know you've got a perspective on that as well, isn't it? Is it's not just 10,000 hours. There's a little bit more to it than that if you really want to hit that point of grittiness and success. Yeah, and you know, the 10,000 hours is being kind of, you know, debated in this country. And, and so for those, I, I mean, I, I'd certainly heard of it before Malcolm Gladwell because if you're studying goal setting, you know about Andrews Erickson's work and deliberate practice. And so mm. um, you, you can't just go in and, and kind of like... We talk about hitting a bucket of balls in tennis or, you know, going out on the golf course and slamming a bunch of golf balls. Nobody who's going to be successful does a practice um, that is anything other than deliberate. So what that means is there's a goal for every time that you sit down to do something. You know, if you're trying to, um, you know, get better at doing spreadsheets, you have a specific kind of goal of, you know, what are you going to learn in that hour or two hours you're going to, you're going to do it. If you're going to hit the tennis ball, are you trying to hit the baseline? Are you trying to just get it over the net? Are you working on a drop shot? Like, what are you doing? And so the deliberate practice means you go in there with a goal. And this is, this is what I find so interesting interesting about Katie Ledecky. So you probably know she's the, the phenom, the breakout. She, she happens to be my neighbor, and I've known her most of her life, and I've swum. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've known her since she was a little girl. I've, I've swum next to her. I've, I've gone underwater and peeked at her training. Um, here's the thing about Katie Ledecky that I think really epitomizes what is deliberate practice. Every time she gets in the pool, she's working on something very specific. It, it's her turns. It's how many underwater kicks. It's the tempo with which that you know she does her her freestyle. I mean, she uses big data. You know, analytics have entered the swimming world now. Um, and so there's always something. She's not just at a swim practice marking time. She's trying to get better. And I think that's what you see when you look at people with any kind of authentic grit, whether we're looking at people who are trying to solve Einstein's gravitational waves theory, or you're looking at a swimmer, or you're looking at someone who's trying to stay sober in alcoholism. They're trying to do something better every day, and it's about self-improvement, not about what someone else is doing and trying to beat them, it's about self-improvement. And there's a very specific metric that they have for whatever they're doing to tell them whether or not their time was well spent. And we know when we're fooling ourselves. That's what's so interesting. That's why realistic goals and mediocre goals have been found to make you feel mediocre at the end of the day because you know you didn't do anything that hard. I mean, can you... I, 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 when I read that, I hear that, I think, 
yeah, right. I mean, I've felt mediocre a number of times, and I say, tomorrow I'm going to do a better job. So that's that's my take on that particular debate. So we should probably send a shout-out to Katie Ledecky, who's a big fan of the Mojo radio show. I mean, apparently she's always listening to it on the way to training in her car. She's got it blaring out. So uh, we know her as KL, so you probably know her being her neighbour. You know her as uh, KL. Yep. So a big shout-out. Hi, hi, Katie. Keep up the good work. We love your work. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> look, forward to, look forward to getting you on, on the, the show, show soon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Caroline, we've um, we've had this discussion with a few Olympians, sleep experts, uh, people who are at the top of their game in any field, and the question we've been asking people is how do they bring themselves to the moment? And where this started very quickly is a guy called Drew Ginn is one of our great Olympians. He's won three gold medals at the Olympics and world championships in, in rowing. So he's, he really is an extraordinary Ooh. athlete, a terrific guy. And I said to him, you're in the final, you're in the boat, you're about to, and you've worked for four, eight years for this moment. How do you bring yourself to the moment? He said, I put my hand in the water and I just feel the water. It's not hot. It's not cold. It's just the water. And it was one of the most profound things that we'd heard about a specific method somebody could do to bring themselves to the moment. With your research you're doing, the people you're hanging out with, the writing you're doing, have you come across a particular method that gritty people, people with that resilience, that something extra going on, something they do to bring themselves into the exact moment they're in? That's a great question. I think... um what I would answer that with is I find that they have a different mental place that they go. They have really finely honed the um, the way they speak to themselves, um, the, what it is they choose to think about and see in their minds when the pedal meets the metal. And this is why I find sports psychology so fascinating because what, what's, what they found is that the body only quits quits once the mind tells it it's okay to quit. And so what I find is that all of the people I interviewed, whether it's somebody who caught Russian spies at the CIA or Katie Ledecky or anybody else, is they, they in their minds, quitting is never an option. They're willing to take risks, but quitting isn't an option. So some have pictures that cue them. Some people have biblical phrases. Um, baseball players, I t- one person, he leans over and he ties the, his, um, his shoelaces, and what he says to himself is, brown laces, white ball, meaning take it right down to the basics. I'm, you know, I'm in the World Series, but you know what? It's just a game, and it's brown laces, white ball, just like the rower putting his hand in the water. It's water. It's my friend. I mean, they all have a ritual that they think through, that they depend on. You can call it superstition. But what I think is it's just a mental edge um, that they have learned and they, they, they go through a lot of solitary practice. That's the other thing you find about authentically gritty people is they do the hard work, but they often do it alone, which means they're alone with their thoughts a lot. And this is where I think they really separate the, you know, the good separates from the elite in terms of what's between, you know, the ears. And that's why I'm going out to the Stanford University Virtual Reality Lab next week because um, I have a theory that the next frontier in building grit is going to be in the virtual reality world. 
because there's really interesting research showing that when you experience something in virtual reality, your body doesn't know that you're not going through it. The body and the brain thinks that you're actually walking on a tight wire or you're in battle. And so some of the character strengths I've talked to you about, humility and patience and and kindness and teamwork, you can develop those. You can experience those situations and practice building them in a virtual reality setting. And so I think the time is going to come when we can dial up some of the things we need to work on and practice them in virtual reality settings, which is exactly what's happening in the sports world now. It's virtual reality is what you see in American football. This is how the quarterbacks train, the ones that can afford the striver technology. And so long answer when you said, you know, the rower puts his hand in the water, what happens, how do you meet the moment? They have this supreme self-confidence because they've done the work and failure is not an option and they know they're going to go for broke, whether they win or lose, but failure is not going to be an option for them. Question for you, Carolyn, does perfectionism stand in the way of us achieving what we want to achieve? Yeah. Okay. So, so perfectionism is one of the ways that I see stupid grit or stubborn grit coming out, um, is the inability to kind of see that you've overshot the mark, or let's say you're a mountain climber and you have summit fever, um, and you, it's time to turn around, you know, the blizzard's coming and you can't turn around, you just, um, you don't know when to stop climbing. And so I do think that sometimes we can be so stubborn that we don't actually know um, or such a perfectionist that we don't know that it's time to pivot. So what I find with authentically gritty people is they always have a peanut gallery. There's, they surround themselves with people who have their best interests at heart, who have a certain amount of knowledge or expertise, and they rely upon those people to check them, essentially, um, when they've gone too far. And, you know, Serena Williams, you know, the tennis player, gave a great interview about this. She said, there's no quit in me. I don't know how to quit. So I have to have other people tell me when I'm just kind of being, you know, a fool and just running myself into the ground, either, you know, with my health or with my game or my injuries or whatever it is. Because she had an interesting quote, and I think I got this in my book, you can't just press Control-Alt-Delete with me. You've got to drag me off the court. And so people who... um who don't know how to do that, who are perfectionists, tend to have stubborn grit. And that's when they need to develop more humility and listen to other people. So I think, Caroline, it's fair to say that episode 14 was the first time that we met you on the Mojo Radio Show. It's had a massive impact on us personally and the show, our audience. And, uh, Robbo, it's had a big impact on the young followers you coach in the uh, rugby team, hasn't it, mate? It has indeed. They've really sort of come a long way. Just simple little things. I mean, it's certainly not nothing in depth as what we've talked about today, but just simple lessons from what I took from that first interview, mm-hmm. they've really picked up and run with. And it's interesting that feedback from parents, and I don't think they've ever made the correlation that it's between footy and this other stuff, but, you know, just with other parts of their lives, with schoolwork and stuff like that, that they've picked up their mm-hmm. game 
as well. So, you know, there's a lot of credence to what you're saying. I love it. I mean, I, I just think it's so nice to hear that. But the, the difference that you can make in the next generation in terms of their ability to believe in themselves, and not just because you say it, but because they actually do things, mm. um, and, and they begin to build this self-efficacy, not because somebody said they were a winner, but because they actually did something that they can be really proud of, makes a difference. One thing I found, which was, you know, I, you might want to experiment with this, but there's a a football team here in the United States, and, and um, a veteran of, I think, the Iraq War um, had lost his legs or his arm. He was, he was, you know, he had significant injuries when he came back, and he had been a high school football player, and he asked the coach, can I just cut the grass? Can I just hang around the team and cut the grass? Mm. Well, the coach made an observation a few weeks after this Iraq War veteran was silently showing up and cutting the grass, not even interacting with the players. And he said that he went from having a bunch of whiners to a bunch of kids who saw real grit in front of them and said, you know, that kid has had it hard. I'm not going to bitch about a football practice. And so I've been thinking about the whole idea of embedding gritty role models in settings where we are, where we live, where we work, because they're silent testament to, you know, just being gritty, particularly in the case of war veterans, I think could cause a lot of people to up their game because it's so inspiring to mm. be around people like that. And and you know what? One other thing I want to say is we have people with ordinary grit all around us every day. You know, their parents taking care of disabled children, people working three jobs, people who are struggling to be, you know, sober or who have been sober for 10, 20, 30 years all of those people have grit, and it's up to us to notice them and allow them to inspire us. Be around people like that. Call them out. Salute them. Don't just get, you know, blinded by the Kardashians or, you know, this kind of superficial selfie grit. Mm. You know, take a look at who really does matter. Places that uphold role models who have real grit, they're going to develop grit in their midst. That's just the way it is. It's a contagious quality. It's so inspiring to see, isn't it? We always talk about our training. We talk about just one more. So if we're doing shuttle sprints and the kids are exhausted, I'll say just one more and they'll all groan and go, oh, and I'll go, come on, just one more, just one more. Let's do one more. And um, mm-hmm. it was it was not this year, but last year we played a grand final and it was a really close game. The kids were exhausted towards the end of the game which and we ended up winning. But I, I didn't hear this, but one of the other dads told me later that there was we stopped for a line out, cause, which is what happened when the ball goes out. And there there was one of the forwards there standing with his hands on his knees and he was going, I can't go on, I can't go on. And one of his mates ran over and just tapped him on the back and said, come on, mate, just one more. Really? That kid, there was only like five minutes to go. That kid ended up making the tackle, which saved the game pretty much. I mean, if we hadn't have made the tackle, they would have scored, we would have lost. So, you know, it's... Um, That's so brilliant. Yeah. That's just a great story because it's something he had done before that he could you said what happens in that moment how do these athletes meet the moment Mm. how does anyone meet the moment where they have to it's because they've done it before they've touched it before Mm. because they've touched it before they have hope that they can touch it again Mm. and it makes such a difference to hold people to a higher standard so they they can touch it and know that they're capable of it yeah well i think it goes back to what muhammad ali used to say you know the greatest of all time you know, gone but not forgotten. And he always said that his training started when he was tired. So his actual training sessions began when he was knackered and done for. Yeah. Then it started training because 
It's the same as it's, – it's very fun. It's reflected back to something we started earlier in the program. Caroline, the Navy SEALs have this thing called Hell Week. And Hell Week is part of the BUDS training program that a SEAL goes through. And basically Hell Week is – I think it's five or six days of intense, and you've seen all of the photos and movies of them carrying logs and wading out in the water and holding hands and doing, you know, sit-ups in the waves of the water. Like it's putting yourself, and they're doing it all on four hours sleep in a whole week. Yeah. And yeah. the whole idea of it is to not work out who the strongest or toughest are, but the whole idea of it is to put yourself in that situation so when you get into war and you're under pressure, your mind and your body knows, well, I've done this. Like I've been, I've been to hell and back. I can do this. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, a reflection of what we look to for those guys. But the same thing happens in a day-to-day basis. Like you say, somebody who's working and look after children for eight, eight hours in a day, you know, and not feeling very well and having to pony up and just get it done. And I think it's really important that we look to all these sports stars and the armed forces and all these inspirational stories read in books and movies and so on. But I think that point is really, really so valid is that it's happening all around us. I think it's becoming upon us to, to look for these things. And in some cases, just like Robbo's, you know, young fella does pat somebody in the back and say, good on you, mate. Well done. You know, absolutely. And, and that's why I, I referenced humility earlier is they're not going to tell you what they've overcome. It's no. up to you to uncover it. Um, and that's where being connected to other people, asking questions, having the patience to listen, that's how you find out that people all have their own struggles going on. And, and there's just so much ordinary grit around us. I just don't think we have the, the patience or the focus or, you know, even the interest or curiosity at times to find out. But I'm just amazed at how many paragons of grit are walking around us all the time. The problem is you turn on the television and you've got this selfie grit and this faux grit and people who tell you how great they are. And they're just, you know, just clogging the airwaves. I mean, we've got a presidential candidate in this country who's, who thinks, I, he says he's a great athlete, he's handsome. I mean, there's literally nothing this man says. He, he, you know, I'm talking about Donald Trump, but, I mean, he's selfie grit to the max. I mean, that's not what people who are authentically grit do. They don't tell you all the time how great they are, but those are the ones who catch our attention and clog the television screens. Turn it off and find some real grit. Believe me, it's around you. Just go find it. Well, not only around you, it's actually in you as well, isn't it? Let's be honest. Well, that's that's my premise because I was someone who didn't have it, who was forced to develop it because I had this eating disorder, bulimia. Mm. And, you know, back when I was 21 in the 1980s, Nobody got better. Nobody knew anybody who had gotten better. We were all just kind of going to die. We were the unhelpables. And until that moment, until I was, you know, 21, I was very successful, but I was not gritty. I would just make sure I put myself in situations where I could thrive, you know. I loved school, you know. And so when this eating disorder literally took me to my knees over and over and just, you know, I said, I want to live. And, and I, my passion grew from the fact that this failure had shown me what it is I needed to do to actually live. And um, that's why I believe anybody can develop grit, because I know I did. I did it one day at a time. I did it from an absolute place of failure and depression and low self-esteem. But I had a goal, and the goal was to live. Now, listen, before we do let you go, I, I don't know if you know but I have a new segment on this show and it's called Robbo's Nifty 90. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. 
Robbo's Nifty 90. I'm going to fire a bunch of rapid fire questions at you and I just want one word, two word answers. First thing that pops into your mind, okay? So the record so far, Tate Fletcher, who we spoke to a couple of weeks ago, he's got through, I think his record was 11 questions. You ready? Here we go. Something that annoys you the most? Um, people who brag about themselves. What's your favourite, tea or coffee? Coffee. Your favourite outdoor activity? Swimming. What's the one thing you would like everyone to know about the advantages of being gritty? That the rest of your life will be changed as a result of going for it. One thing you've always wanted to do but haven't? Um, Go to the Acropolis in uh, Athens, Greece. Three words to describe yourself. Zesty, crazy and interesting. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Zesty, I like that. Um, what's the last yes. movie you watched more than 10 times? Oh, my gosh. The last movie I watched more than 10 Yeah, what, the last movie you watched a lot. Oh, um, I watched the O.J. Simpson trial movie. It's a Netflix documentary. Oh, yeah? Okay. What's your favourite treat? Carrot cake. Besides your family, what's the achievement that you're most proud of? Overcoming bulimia. Your favourite song of all time? Um, Carly S- Simon, um, um, Anticipation. There you go. That's your 30 seconds. And I can tell you that you have just equaled Tate Fletcher's record. Yes! I win! I win. Yay! There you Yay. go. I won the ladies' division, yeah, right? Yeah, that's I won it. The you're ladies. in the ladies' division. There you go. You've done it. He's a UFC cage fighter, former bouncer and Hollywood stuntman. So you're in pretty good company if you can mix it up with Tate Fletcher, let me tell you. Absolutely. Well, that's that's the best side of ADHD. You're going at 78 RPMs all the time. You talk fast and think fast and move fast. <laughs> well, Carolyn, you are a great friend of the show. It's honestly, I could listen to you talk for hours. I, I, love, I love your perspective on this. It's so powerful. And I think the most important thing is it's actually – practical and usable if people choose to finish this podcast and and get after it so Mm. thank you so much for your time we we really appreciate we know how much you've got going on new book coming out next year for people who want to find out more about you uh get in early on the book and read your blog which is great and see where where should people go to well, I would say go to um, carolinemiller.com. Um, you can download um, the first chapter. It's actually changed a little bit, but the first chapter as of a few months ago of my next book, Grit. And I'm coming to Australia, so I will be there for 17 days in March. And wow. I think I'm giving four public addresses. So um, I don't know exactly the dates or times, but if you go to my website and sign up for my newsletter, you'll be informed where I'm going to be and um, I would love to meet the two of you. I mean, I feel yeah, like we've met already, on. but it's a um, <laughs> I'm hoping I can make a difference at St. Peter's School and some other places that really want to hear this message. We'll get you back on at that time. So, well, uh, actually, Gary, I was going to say we'll be back in preseason training by March, so maybe Caroline might pop out. <laughs> Might pop out to Pennyville's oh, Oval and have a bit of a to. word to the kids. <laughs> I would oh, love dear. to see a, a young rugby team training because I have no concept of what that would look like. I only it's know a shambles. football. It's a shambles. But in a good That's way. Good. In a good way. The Mojo Radio Show. I'm feeling particularly gritty after that interview. Well, I have got a lovely sedgeway for you a minute because we're going to go yeah. from resilience and grit into some really gritty rock mm-hmm. to finish the show. But before we do that, this yep. is the most beautiful message I got. Tia and Clarissa were our guests on the show last week, folks. Mm. And Tia 
has a beautiful charity and Tia finds busted bikes and her and her dad basically fix them. Mm. Her sister test rides them. They fix them up and then they give them to children who don't have a bike. I've got to say it was one of the most privileged and gratifying interviews I think we've done. It's just, it was so beautiful and she was so humble and so sweet. So I sent her a note saying that the show was up and she could have a listen to herself and her mum and a bit of a shout out to her dad. Mm. And she sent me a note and said, hi, Gary and Robbo. Wow. I am very excited to hear that. It was really fun being on the show and I had lots of smiles. Thank you for giving me a chance to share my story. I have some exciting news coming up for next year so I can send you a message. Thank you for telling mum about the soap on a rope. (laughs) Mum was laughing and showed me a photo on the internet. (laughs) You both were very funny. Thank you for talking to me. Love, Tia, and a smiling smiley face. Isn't that beautiful? Wow, that's great. That's so good. And seriously, guys, if you can help out in any way with old bikes that you no longer use, and let's face it, our kids grow out of bikes like they grow out of clothes, um, check out the show notes. There'll be a link there. Click on it and give Tia a hand because she's working so hard at this and she deserves every sort of encouragement that she can be given. So um, so please, please reach out to use current dialogue. Beautiful child. <laughs> now, Beautiful child. Back to grit. Back to grit. Coming up in October, we're going to talk to Higgsy. Higgsy. Yay. Andrew Higgs, <laughs> who is from a band called King of the North. And he is going to be a guest on October. And i got to say, after going through this guy's album and seeing what they do and how they do it, it's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. This is the new single, Robbo, and it's called The Mountain. And the clip itself is brilliant. I'll put a link to the clip on YouTube Mm. into the show notes. But if you want to jump onto it, folks, it's King of the North, The Mountain film clip, official clip. What's extraordinary about this, and we're going to talk to Higgsy about during Rocktober, is the track you're about to hear, folks, the whole track is two guys. Mm -hmm. Higgsy Mm -hmm. on guitar and Steve Tyson on drums. The sound you're hearing is out of a two-piece band. There's nothing else. It's extraordinary. Mm. And this is a taste of what's going to come up in Rocktober 2016 on the Mojo Radio Show. We're out.
Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.